It's good to see you this morning. My name's JD. If we have never met or if it's been a minute, it's great to see you. We're honored that you're here today on Juneteenth uh, and on Father's Day. Uh, I just want to mention Juneteenth, like we were talking about that in our house this morning. My boys every year on this day are like, well, now explain to us exactly what this day is. And um, I won't give you the the history lesson. I just want to tell you that God made people to be free. And what sin does and what power does is it tries to make people not free. And today we celebrate and honor and remember a day where people persevered past uh, the will of sin to enslave people. And, uh, and, and, that, and that is an honorable day. And so I was telling my boys this morning, I tell them every year, other than Christmas and Easter, this day preaches the gospel better than any holiday. Um, because the Lord made people to be free, and yet forces try to conspire against our freedom. And the best days of a day is where we realize that, we were, that God made us free. To be made in the image of God be, means to be made free enough to actually choose or reject Christ. And so we celebrate, I know the majority of our church is not people of African uh, descent, but we celebrate the uh, African-American pride and joy today. uh, And brothers and sisters in our church who are African-American, who are black folks, we celebrate this day with them. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. Uh, So we celebrate it for what it says about the gospel and just what it says. I can't uh, imagine the, and this is none of the sermon, sorry, but the courage that is required of a follower of Christ who was declared free by the American government, and yet that freedom was hidden from them for months and months and months. And to think about being a people who uh, don't just resent that, that form of power um, is deeply humbling to me. Because I think about how I can become very embittered about very small things like being cut off in traffic or being inconvenienced. And um, so I just want to put that out there into the universe. Today is a good day and we celebrate it. So happy Father's Day. I'll tell you, let me let me jump on that holiday for just a second. Uh, I remember being early in ministry. This is my 23rd Father's Day in ministry, uh, 15th, I think, as a pastor who would preach on Father's Day. And I remember being told early in ministry, you can't preach a sermon to fathers on Father's Day. And I was like, well, why can I not do that? And I was given a list. I wrote it down, things I've been told over the last few years. Uh, Number one, I was told, well, some people in the room aren't dads. Well, I mean, that's the most obvious thing ever. Like 60% of the church in America is females and not males. And obviously not every male is a dad. So I get that. Like the second thing I was told was some people didn't have dads or some people didn't grow up having good dads. I get that. We'll address that one in a second. I was told some of us dads, including myself, are a work in progress. You can't preach to dads. You don't want them to feel condemned. And then the one that I heard over and over was it'll just make them uncomfortable. You just can't preach to dads on Father's Day. It will make them uncomfortable. Let me share a quick reply before we jump into the Bible today. Number one, not, everyone, not everything is going to speak to everyone on every Sunday. You know what I mean? Like not every sermon is going to be, oh, I wrote this sermon just for every single one of you. First of all, that's impossible. And second, you don't want the sermon where I go, hey, Mark, this one's just for you today. Or Miguel, this is just for you. Or Miss Linda, this is just for you. We don't want that. But here's what I've learned over the years of ministry. If you come hungry to the table, you will always find something to eat. 
So I, I trust that God's word and God's spirit will do their job today. And the Lord, even if you're not a dad, even though I'm going to primarily be addressing fathers and future fathers, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will feed you today on God's word. Second thing, listen, to those who object and say some people didn't have dads or didn't have good dads. Listen, my dad wasn't around either. My dad was out of the picture pretty like the only memories I have. I have three memories of my dad in the house with us. Two of them were extremely negative and traumatizing. Um, so I get it. Like if you feel that way, I get it. My dad was an alcoholic. He was an abandoner. He had other issues. But I want to tell you, there came a point in my life, and this is why I deeply believe in preaching on Father's Day to fathers, even for those who didn't have dads or didn't have good dads. There came a moment in my life, probably when I was about 15 years old, that God began to reveal to me that even though I didn't have an earthly father who was a good father, that he would be my heavenly father. And I want to tell you the truth, that even the best dads are just a poor reflection of the heavenly father. So I hope today doesn't make you sad. There came a point in my life where what made me sad and bitter and even like jealous of other teenage boys in our church who had good dads, that began to turn my heart toward the father God, who's the best father. The third thing, some of us dads are a work in progress. I would say, yeah, we are a work in progress. Like the difference between, I love this quote, the difference between a weed and a flower is a judgment call. Thankfully, God is the one who gets the judgment. The difference between a weed and a flower is a judgment call. Thankfully, God is the one who gets to make the judgment. Romans 8.1 says, For dads today who in any way would walk in or be tempted to walk out feeling condemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are the worst dad in the universe and you are in Christ Jesus as you walk out of here today, I want to tell you that God does not condemn you. He took with his reckless love all of his condemnation out on his son Jesus at the cross. Past, present, and future things that we've done that were deeply condemnable. And then the last objection, you don't want the dads to feel uncomfortable. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, I do want us to feel uncomfortable. And I say us, all of us. Because the only way we progress in life is by feeling uncomfortable. It's by pushing against what we think we are comfortable with. Uh, There's a great German proverb that says, soft healers make stinking wounds. I'll put it up there because it's so good. It's, it's funnier sounding if you could say it in German. I can't say it in German. Maybe some of you guys can potentially say it in German. Soft healers make stinking wounds. And unfortunately, we live in an era in church history, a lot of times where we have pastors and preachers and leaders who want to be soft healers. And we've got... Um, stinking wounds of discipleship because there's been neglect. And so I would rather uh, preach the gospel to you unfiltered as best I can uh, than give it to you soft and then you have glaring issues or me have glaring issues, quite frankly. So uh, we're in a series. This is the fourth message of a series called Heavy Lifting. The big idea of the series is that we can do heavy lifting in discipleship because Jesus has done the heavy lifting already and making a way for our salvation and se- giving and securing promises and God's word and making the way for us to have relationship with God. So because Jesus has done the hard work, as we sung about this morning, Uh, Despite our sin, he invites us into relationship. Now we can do the work of discipleship. And discipleship is work. It's why Paul in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, we don't have this as a slide, says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
I remember when I was in college and I was uh, working out with a guy who was a walk-on for the University of Georgia, a guy who was on the rowing team for the University of Georgia, and a guy who was, uh, his side hustle as a college student was he was a professional bodybuilder, and, uh, and they made me go do squats with them one day. And I never forget, like I got to that moment in the squats, I knew I was getting in trouble because I was trembling. Have you ever hit that, that moment in a gym like I was trembling? And they were like, keep going! And I could feel like the cold sweats, not the hot sweats, the hot sweats I'm good with. The cold sweats are the scary ones. And they were like, keep going. And eventually, it was like something you would see in a cartoon. Like literally, the, the weight went this way and, and they caught me. Like fear, like there was a, tr- and I, rem- I, w- I had to walk the, the gym where you worked out at the University of Georgia at the Ramsey Center to our dorms like over a mile. And I remember walking back to the dorm and my legs were like this, right? Like discipleship is working out your salvation with fear and trembling at the gravity of it. But then the next verse, verse 13 says, as God works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so we can do the heavy lifting of discipleship because Christ has done the heavy lifting of of, uh, salvation. I want to show you a graphic uh, really quickly that uh, I saw this a couple of months ago. Uh, I loved it, um, and there are parts of it I didn't love. It comes from a guy named Josh Denhart uh, at kidmenscience.com. If you'll throw this one up there, Juliana, uh, about, yep, here it is. So 75% of kids left the church from 18 to 29. It's kind of discouraging. <laughs> I don't know if that discourages anyone in the room. That's a little discouraging to me. I have two sons. Uh, They are excited today because Henry and Barrett are here. If we just sort of ran that out all across the country today, three out of the four of them would not hang around from the moment they graduate high school to the moment right before they hit age 30. Here, though, is why 25% stayed connected with Christ. If we'll go to that next slide. There were five things, and here they are. Number one, um, oh, you can't read it. We'll, present, we'll put this a bit later. But essentially, one, the family ate a meal together in the home five to seven times a week. Could have been breakfast, could have been lunch, could have been dinner, whatever. And then the second one is the family was involved together in some sort of ministry. The third one is that there was some type of spiritual encounter in the home. The fourth one is that the children were involved or the teens were involved in some type of ministry. Every Sunday we got Hope back on the camera today. Uh, Ari often runs slides. Noah plays the drums. Christine is usually in Christ Kids. I love that. They're all high schoolers and middle schoolers. We would love even to see kids ministry, uh, kid, like Christ Kids serving in ministry. When that happened, that was huge. And then the fifth thing was that uh, the kids had a faith um, a, a, like a, a Christ following other adult other than mom and dad involved in their life from a young age. Where those five things were present, uh, that 25% who didn't leave, that seems to, these seem to be five of the common denominators. The, the graphic though does have one problem with it. I won't tell it to you now, I'll tell it to you in a little bit. I don't know if you see it. Uh, it's not a typo in the writing. It's actually a flaw in the system, in the gospel system as far as I believe, but we'll skip from that. And if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 6. We'll circle back to that at the end. Um, but let's look at Luke 6 together uh, today. We're gonna look at verses 43 through 45. 
A lot of us uh, know of the Sermon on the Mount, especially if you were raised Roman Catholic, you know the Sermon on the Mount because part of it is it starts with the Beatitudes, which is the um, blessed are those who, uh, that a lot of you grew up having to memorize. How many of you had to memorize, uh, Catholic or Protestant, had to memorize the Beatitudes as kids? Anybody have to do that? A few of you? Yep, yep. Awesome. Uh, So some of you know that. So Jesus is beginning his teaching ministry and he goes and he preaches this, the longest sermon that's recorded. It's in Matthew, um, I think five, six, and seven. Uh, This is part of what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, It's very similar to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but it's Luke's account of it. It's slightly different. There's some slight content differences. Uh, I think it's, it's other themes that Jesus was preaching as he went along teaching for three years. He wasn't making up new material every time he talked. He was often taking these same gospel themes and, uh, and tweaking them for the audience. And so in Luke 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says this. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever said something... And then somebody's like, I can't believe you just said that to me. And you go, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I was just kidding. Jesus would say that when we say that stuff, it's coming out of the overflow of our hearts. And out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths are speaking. So let me begin today asking you based on verse 43, are you a good tree or a bad tree? Are you a good tree or a bad tree? And how do you know? How do you come to that sort of conclusion today? Or we used to have a book. Uh, this month we have Multiply out on the table right here uh, behind the back row. But we used to put a book out called How Good is Good Enough. How good is good enough to know, oh, I'm a good tree and not a bad tree. When Jesus talks about being good trees and bad trees, he's talking about the quality, not quantity of our fruit. When he talks about good fruit and bad fruit, Jesus isn't talking about how much fruit. He's talking about the type of fruit. He's not talking about how fruitful a tree is. He's talking about what type of tree it is. How do I know that? I know it based on a few passages in the New Testament that are consistent uh, themes from Genesis 1 to the last chapter of Revelation. But let me just give you a few of them today that are mostly rooted in Romans. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages, what our sin earns for us as being bad fruit, is death. The next one, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were bad trees with bad fruit, because that is our nature, every one of us. It's not that we just do sins. It's that we are sinners, It's not the fruit we're producing, it's the tree and the roots and the whole thing, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 and 10, for if you confess or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because 
If, uh, will you go to that next one for me? Thanks. For it's with the heart that one's believe and is justified or declared right with God. And it's with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. So what we're seeing is that it's not our goodness and how good we are as trees producing good fruit. It's what Jesus has done and whether we throw ourselves wholeheartedly onto him, which leads to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you're saved. Not by works, it's through faith. This isn't your own doing, it's a gift of God. So we do that, yep, not a result of our works, so no one can boast. No one gets to brag. The worst worst religious experiences I've ever seen and been part of are the ones where everybody's trying to spiritually one-up the next person. Who can say the best prayer? Who can sing that solo the highest? I've been in churches where women would sing it up here, And then other women would sing it like up here. And by the end, you're thinking, are the windows in this church about to bust? Like, God's not impressed. He's not impressed that we can hit the high notes. He's not impressed with the flowery flowery language of our prayers. It's by grace that we're saved. The good tree, the good fruit, all becomes from the work of Jesus. Goodness is not based on performance or the number of good deeds. Goodness in the gospel is believing the finished work of Christ and belonging, as Nicole prayed earlier, in relationship with Christ through faith. Relationship with Christ through faith. The best, the first, the only step to be a good Christian or a good dad or a good person is surrendering to Christ and becoming his. Surrendering to Christ and becoming his. Like the, the point is not to take that, if you're a dad in the room, not to take that list of those five things and go, now let's go do those things and then we'll produce good fruit. There'll be good outcomes. No, no, no. That's not a gospel idea. The gospel idea is out of the goodness that Christ has produced in us, these other things will begin to flow from our life. Look at verse 44. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. My dad, like I shared, was not an awesome dad. We had a really complicated relationship. Some of you have been around for a while, have heard this story. A lot of you have never heard some of the stories I'm going to tell you today. My dad, though, at uh, the last 10, 15 years of his life, fell in love with gardening. That was his thing. He would drive all over the state, like had no problem driving four or five hours to find a certain type of daylily or a certain type of tree or a certain type of this. And he would learn to manipulate the pH balance in his soil in his backyard in Georgia to get flowers to turn certain colors or to grow certain trees. And so his backyard was like a greenhouse. It was amazing. And he could make anything live in the 100 degree heat of Georgia. He in his backyard, he had plum trees, apricot trees, plum cot trees trees, which I didn't even know was a thing. But basically you make a plum tree and an apricot tree have a baby together and you get a plum cot tree. And he had those. He had, uh, I wrote down another one. Uh, He had a persimmon tree. I didn't even know what that was. It looked like something you would see like in the Hunger Games or some type of sci-fi thing. And he had all these different trees and and he would grow and, and the fruit was there. I'll tell you what we never had from my dad's backyard. We never had apples. We never had oranges. We never had cherry trees. Those weren't the type of trees that he could grow or was growing. And, you know, what Jesus is saying here is the equivalent of if I went to my dad and said, Dad, I really love apples. I would love to have some apples. What if my dad went to the grocery store 
and got a bag of apples and comes back home and like gets a ladder and a, and a little hammer and he starts hammering little apples to the plum trees. Or he starts hammering like, or, or duct taping oranges to an apricot tree. It just, it would not possibly work. And so it wouldn't work. The tree can't produce it and the fruit won't last. It will rot. And what happens, dads, when we say, I want to be like Christ, I want to be a godly dad, but we try to do it outside of relationship with Christ and abiding on, in Christ, in, this, in the soil of the gospel, what happens, it's like trying to tack good works onto a tree that's not able to produce that stuff. We can look Christian. Maybe some of us today are really good at looking Christian, but like deep in our heart, we have this nagging sense, I don't actually have a relationship with God through Christ. But we look Christian, we can dress the part, we can sing the songs, we can do that stuff. Here's what happens, it doesn't last. Or it just makes you really tired. Because plum trees don't produce apples And trees of people who are not surrendered to Christ, born again in Christ, cannot produce the fruit of a life of faith. They can't. can't. Sadly, a lot of times in ministry, I've watched husbands and wives come into my office or come into the pastor's offices I've served, having, uh, living in the wake of one of them having an affair. It's like one of the toughest things I've ever watched a couple journey through and yet it happens and I want to tell you like if that's part of your narrative there is grace and there is hope and you can journey through those things but I want to tell you like what will not what has what I have yet to see ever work one time in that scenario is the couple who has gotten caught in their sin that isn't just what they did but it's who they are and then they want to start acting Christian and posting photos on social media of oh here's date night and we go to church, we're these religious people, all this stuff. If you are putting, if you are tacking apples onto a plum tree, it cannot last. The tree cannot produce it, the fruit will rot, and the people flame out almost every time. But I also can't tell you how many times I've seen couples who went through the, the valley of death in their marriage or their relationships and turned to Christ And Christ changed the nature of the tree and the Holy Spirit began to produce fruit in keeping with repentance and a holy life. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It works both ways. You cannot produce it if it's not who you are. Christ will produce it if it's who we are in him. Acting like a good Christian, doing those five things, dad, it's impossible. The fruit won't last. The outcome, sadly, will be unbelieving kids. If we act believing kids, Christian, or we don't show up at all, we'll have unbelieving kids. I'm journeying right now with a dad who, um, his kid has come out and said he's an atheist. And he's like, I don't understand why she doesn't believe. He's like, I believed. I've believed all along. I'm like, right, but there's no fruit that she sees in your life that actually evidences that you believe. She can't read the intentions of your heart, what you're saying you believe. Our kids are just watching how we live. 
So we can't fake those outcomes. We can't mass produce those outcomes. They have to be something that God's spirit is producing in us. Verse 45, the first part of it, the good person out of the good treasure of his or her heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Fruit outside comes from treasure inside. Fruit outside comes from treasure inside. That takes time, it takes roots, it takes good soil. I want to give you an equation that I, we were meeting with somebody the other day and we shared this. I, deep, I so deeply believe this. The spirit of God plus the word of God plus the church of God plus time will make us into the people who bear fruit, who honor Christ, who are compelling and winsome in this world. The spirit of God. Now, I grew up Baptist. A lot of you grew up Catholic. We're like first cousins when it comes to the Holy Spirit because we're terrified of him. Don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We know he's the third person of a Trinity, but let's talk about it as an it and not a him. Uh, let's just stay away from that. He might make us dance like we used to joke in the Baptist church that uh, this was allowed, but if you ever like tap toes with two feet like you were dancing and that was not allowed because the spirit might come in and make you start doing stuff that made everybody uncomfortable. Like, listen, the Holy Spirit of God is God living in us. When we become Christians, Christ followers, when we're born again, his spirit comes and lives in us. It's like trying to make a lamp shine without being plugged into the source. The spirit is the source, the spirit of God, the word of God. We sang a little bit ago about the spirit sword, war metaphor and weaponry in hymns makes me a little nervous. The sword of the spirit is the word of God, the spirit and the word and the people of God together plus time will make us the disciples who bear fruit. We need each other. Lone rangers get picked off first. You cannot become all God intends for you to be without the other people in the room. We need one another. It's not enough to just show up, sit in a row, get the goods, and then get out of here unknown. We need one another to become the people God wants us to be, to bear fruit. I learned something about trees this week. I knew this, but I wanted to go check the facts. It takes a peach tree three years to bear a, a good peach. Three years. And you have to care for that thing like crazy. My grandparents, after 50 years of living in the same house, bought a house in Peach County, Georgia, and a community that was once a peach orchard. And my granddad started doing uh, learning because the peach tree in the first couple of years would grow all these peaches and they were disgusting. And what he learned was you had to prune the tree, you had to pull off all the little peaches, and so you might pull off 90 peaches and you would get 10 really, really good ones. But it took several years and a lot of care to do that. A cherry tree, to get any cherries, takes three to five years. And those ones are sour. And it's after, in years five, six, seven, that you for the first time begin to get sweet cherries. Pear trees take four to six years. Apple trees takes five plus years. Mulberry trees takes 12 years to produce good mulberries. Don't ever plant one, by the way. I hear that they get really, really crazy. They take a long time to make fruit and they get out of control. My dad's trees in his backyard, he would care for those things like you wouldn't believe every day, studying, researching, figuring out what he had to do, what he had to give, what he had to cut, what he had to prune, all of that to grow fruit. I want to tell you, um, so let me tell you about my dad really quickly. He was, he was not good. There were literally years that we would go and not talk. 
And um, probably sometime after Noah was born, Noah's 13, he began to weave into our lives more consistently. And that was good. Like I'd prayed for that for a long time. And dad wasn't a Christian. I remember I finally, after Noah was born sometime, I said, uh, God, I cannot carry the burden of trying to be my dad's son and lead him to Christ. So I'm going to ask you, God, to send some man into his life who will share the gospel with him. And I'm just going to be his son. And I'm going to pray for him. And we started getting to know him. And he still was not good. My dad drank 14 beers every day, minimum. Uh, he had all manner of debauchery and everything not good in his life. He was embittered. He was tough. He was just angry at the world. I didn't understand that. It made me really sad. And I spent a lot of time in counseling for that, to be honest, over the years. Finally came to grips with it. Understood for the first time in my life that my dad was like he was because his dad was a worse dad than he was. So my dad had an absent father and an abusive stepfather, and those were his models. And once I understand that, after my dad died, I was like, hmm, he actually did the best he knew how. I didn't get that for a long time. About six months from my dad died, somehow he knew he was dying. It was in September. He quit drinking. He went from 14 beers a day every day to none. Cold turkey. He stopped swearing and like my dad was made to live in this part of the country because he could, he could use them really well. He was gifted in language in that way, right? In the four-letter words. About, no, about no, early November, uh, my stepmom called and she said, is your dad dying? I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, it's, we've been together 20 years now and it's like he's the man that I remember again. About Thanksgiving, we hang out with him. It's so pleasant. For the first time, it's like really actually pleasant. And we weren't just faking good fruit of being happy together. And my brother calls the week after Thanksgiving. He goes, I think dad's given his life to Christ. He just doesn't know it. My dad, you know, he had his trees and his gardens and his flowers. And it was a crazy hot summer and fall in Georgia. And he made a deal with God. He said, God, if you'll let it rain, I'll go to church. Well, of course, the next day it rained two inches. So my dad, the next Sunday, went to church. I asked him, I said, Dad, how was church this Sunday? He said, said, well, the music was terrible and the preaching was worse. And I was like, there went my dad's short church career. That's over. The next Sunday I said, "Uh, well, what you doing this week? He said, I think I'm going to go to church this week. So he shows up that, that Sunday at a, at a church and he's there a few minutes early. You know, whenever you're visiting a church, you're always five, 10 minutes early. And it gets time for the worship service to start. And he looks around the church seats, 500 people. And there's like 15 in the room. And he goes, I just figured if Jesus actually rose from the dead, more people should be in that building to celebrate it. So he stayed, but he never went back. The third week I was, again, I'm like, there's the end of dad's church career. The next week he goes to another one. And at that one, something clicked. And I'll tell you what it was. Some other men just met him. At this point in my dad's life, my dad always wore like, it's like he thought he was Tom Selleck and Magnum PI. He always wore short shorts. He would wear high tops with no socks. He always had a mustache, but not like a Tom Selleck mustache. It was like my dad mustache. You know, it's like when I grow a mustache every November. Uh, And he just He went to church and some guys there just loved him right where he was. They loved him too much to leave him there, but they loved him right where he was. And they would come to his house and look at his trees and walk around with him. Just love him. Love him like Jesus loved him. That Christmas was the best Christmas I had ever had with my dad. 
Owen was one, Noah was five, Owen might have, he was almost two, and uh, my brother and uh, my sister-in-law had their first son, my nephew Hunter, and it was just sweet in their house. And on January 13th, my dad emailed me at 1.30, and he goes, I got a lot of issues in my life, but I've given my life to Christ, and I think that's the main one. And at 4.30 that afternoon, he had a massive heart attack and passed away. At my dad's funeral, my brother and I were both in ministry, preached his funeral. And my brother referenced those trees because my dad had a couple of trees that weren't yet bearing fruit. But what happens with a fruit tree is the year before it bears fruit, a lot of times it'll bear blossoms. And my dad's siblings told us, they said that we said, dad gave his life to Christ. And they were like, no, he didn't. We don't know it. We never saw it. And my brother, I remember my brother saying at the funeral, you never saw the fruit, but we saw the blossoms and God was going to give the fruit. The blossoms were proof that the fruit was coming. Dads, I want to tell you, I see blossoms and fruit in a lot of you. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Fruit is coming. It comes from being in the soil of the word, the spirit, the church, and time. It's coming. Fruit is coming. Harvest is coming. It takes a minute. Don't give up. Guys, don't tap out. Don't back down. Don't second guess God's process. Don't slow up. Trust the law of the harvest, Galatians 6. Let's not grow weary in doing good, for in due time harvest will come. Verse 45b, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, dad, dads, dads lead. Out of the overflow of what God is doing in us, we lead our homes and our kids and our families. The five items aren't the fruit that defines the tree. No, the tree of a Christ-surrendered dad produces fruit of eating together and of serving in ministry and of spiritual experiences at home and of ministry and of having faith-focused adults around them. Go back to that graphic for me, if you will, Juliana that we showed. Here's the problem with this graphic. And I haven't played enough in Canva to fix the graphic, but I might at some point. The cross comes before any of the fruit. See, the graphic says the reason the 25% stayed was those five things were present. And then that led to the cross and the kids believing. The truth is the cross came before all of those things. That's the gospel. The cross steps in when we're bad trees producing bad fruit and it changes us so that the pizza and the house and the four faces and all of that stuff, that's the fruit. Don't get the cart before the horse. Dads, let me ask you a question. Is the cross first in your life? Men, is the cross first in your life? Church, is the cross first in your life? If the cross is first, you will, you will eat together five to seven times a week. Doesn't mean that non-Christian dads don't do that or non-Christian family, it doesn't mean that. But it means that every relationship matters when the gospel is in our hearts. So we make that happen. I know for some of you with your work schedules and everything, that's tougher to create those rhythms. Give yourself grace. But five to seven times a week, I think, ought to be the rhythm. Uh, the second thing, if the cross is first, we serve together. I love walking up on Sundays and seeing Howard standing out there. 
I love even more watching families serve. I love that. I love even more watching families serve out in the community. I love the photos I have of you guys pulling those dumb balloons last Saturday all the way through Charlestown as a family. It's good. That's good. It's so good. If the cross is first, you'll have spiritual experiences at home. It may feel awkward. Get somebody to teach you how to do it. We're learning it as a family. Noah, is it weird when I pull out the Bible and we talk when we were just going to eat dinner and go hang out? Yes. Do we do it still? Yes. It's even awkward for us. But it's important that they see that our faith is something that's real and not just something we do for an hour on Sunday. If the cross is first, we release them to do ministry. Sign them up. Sign them up. We'll find a place for them to serve. If the cross is first, we'll have other adults in our kids' lives. I want to tell you, I thank God for Renee. My kids were so encouraged when Renee gave his life to Christ and was the first person we baptized. Um, my kids have been so encouraged over the years by Miss Marrero having been a Christian at the elementary school where they went to school. My kids have been encouraged by Carson and Lana speaking to them and not just to mom and dad. My kids have been encouraged when Howard gave them a birthday card. My kids are encouraged by Nick and Nikki and Drew letting them come and hang out and have sleepovers at their house. My kids are encouraged by Ed talking to them and fist bumping them and high-fiving them. And I'm encouraged that I get to love your kids in the way that you guys love my kids. That's important. That stuff matters. It's part of whether or not they hang around. Listen, I want the Lord to produce fruit in our life, but fruit comes from abiding on the tree. And so this isn't a challenge today, dads. Try harder or a guilt trip of you haven't been trying hard enough. It's a gospel proclamation that if you are in Christ, fruit is coming. Cultivate the soil, be in the word, the spirit, the church, and give it time. Encourage other dads. It is hard being a dad. There are very few cultural examples of good dads anymore. Used to be you would watch television and you would have them. There's almost just none hardly anymore. Almost none. We need those examples. And in the absence of them, we need someone saying, hey, I see you doing that. I see this in you. You're doing it. Good job. I love this. Let me pray for you, dads. I love you. I'm proud to be your pastor. You dads are doing an amazing job. Father, I thank you for the fathers in this room. I thank you that there are fathers in this room today who are prioritizing uh, two holidays, a major golf tournament, uh, stupidly cold weather. There's probably snow on some mountain somewhere in New England today that people could be skiing. All of those things, God, they've prioritized being here. And, and that's the fruit, I really believe, of what you're doing in their hearts. So God, would you bless these dads? Will you give them faith and courage? Will, will you compel them today not to try, will you compel us today not to try harder, but to abide harder, to rest harder, in, to lean harder into the finished work of Christ? to lean all the way in, to press in past the, the, what the examples in our lives modeled for us, to press past what makes us comfortable, as Nicole prayed earlier, to press past even what any man in this room may be doing. God, would you raise up a man sitting here today who says, I'm going to be all in with Christ to the point that there is no, there, there's no turning back and there may be nobody beside me who goes with me. I'm going all the way, going all the way. 
Lord, would you help us as a community of fathers to disciple one another alongside one another so we can learn to do this well in 2022? God, would you bless our children? God, I pray for the children of Christ Church Charleston. What I pray for my Noah and my Owen since before the day they were born. I pray, God, that every child who uh, comes into this church would grow up to give his or her life to you. That each young boy in this church would grow up to marry a Christian woman if that is God's call for his life. And that he would delight in singleness if it is not in a biblical sexuality. And for each young little girl over in our Christ kids or who's a teenager here today, God, I pray that she would grow up to marry a Christian man if that is your call on her life. If not, I pray that she would live out a God-honoring biblical sexuality joyfully as well. And God, for all these kids, as I prayed for Noah, Noah, will you allow them by the spirit, the word, and the church to uh, grow up and lead lives of deeper Christian influence than Natalie and I will ever have. God, help us fathers and mothers and not even parents of these kids sitting in this room today to be people who want to see a generation come out of that 25%. Help us do that. We need you. Spirit work, it's fruit. God, if there's anyone in the room today who's never given his or her life to you, I pray that they would hear that good fruit isn't doing good stuff. Good fruit is, uh, comes from being on the tree. I pray that if anyone today has that nagging sense of, I don't know that I know that I know Christ, I pray that they would, from the quietness of their heart, turn from their sin and self and trust in the finished work of Jesus at the cross, dying sacrificially and then the empty tomb, rising victoriously so that we can have relationship with God by grace through faith. But we love you. We need you. We don't want to play religion games. We want to be a gospel transformed people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.